Welcome to Center Ice. This is our trade deadline preview episode. It is the 19th of March, so the trade deadline is only a couple days away, and the trades are already coming in fast and furious. Literally, as we were about to hit record on this podcast, Mac, you uh, got some details on a couple trades that have just gone down, eh? Yeah, we're waiting for confirmation on who's going to the Anaheim Ducks, but the Bruins have acquired Hampus Lindholm from Anaheim, and details are to come. I would expect a prospect and maybe a first-round pick around that price. And also, Nick Delorier, kind of a power-forward enforcer type, headed to the Minnesota Wild. Probably not a huge return there, but again, the Ducks are, are listening on a lot of players, and I would expect that... Ricard Raquel's probably moving soon as well. And to me, Pat Verbeek is probably salivating at what he's going to get for Raquel based on some of the other prices on players so far. Well, absolutely. And I, I suspect that Anaheim is going to get a really good return for Lynn, Lindholm because you look at, as you mentioned, you look at the prices that other defensemen have already taken, like Ger- Gerard in Florida, that's two picks going back to Montreal plus a solid prospect as well. So it's going to be a good return here, Mac. It's just a matter of who's going to Anaheim. But we don't know who's going back to Anaheim, but we do know Lindholm's going to Boston. And I like this pickup for Boston, Mac. Lindholm's been at the top of the TSN trade bait for the last couple days now. And I think that that's well-earned. He's a good defenseman, a left-handed shot, who's not too old. He's just 28. And he's got 22 points this year, and he's a really good overall defenseman, Mac. He doesn't carry a high cap hit, and he will probably just end up being a rental for the Boston Bruins, if I had to guess. But for a team like the Bruins who are looking to move up in a very tight Atlantic Division playoff race right now, having a guy like Lindholm, who is a very steady, very reliable defenseman, is a real big boon for these Boston Bruins, especially with all the injuries and inconsistencies that they've had this year. Absolutely. And I was thinking about the Bruins potentially acquiring Jacob Chikrin. So I think that's probably out of the cards. And again, we've talked about prices. The price for Chikrin has got to be sky high and it should be right. Like if I'm Arizona, I'm thinking if you don't offer me the moon, we're saying no at this point. And they're smart enough to know that if they don't get the moon, they can probably get the moon closer to the draft or in the summer. So well, absolutely. And you and I have talked on Chitrin before on this show. And look, you and I have said it many, many times since Bill Armstrong's been hired here, Mac. And he is a smart GM. He is he's also an op- opportunistic GM. He will wait patiently until the opportunity strikes and then he will pull the trigger. And generally, if you want to get your best return for a player, especially with a, a big asset like that, waiting until the deadline is probably not your best approach to do it. Waiting until the draft when the pressure isn't quite as high on GMs, you can, if you're a good negotiator, like we know Bill Armstrong is, Mac, I guarantee you he can probably swing something really good in sort of a package deal at the trade deadline not the trade deadline, the NHL draft, and really bring some big assets back to the Arizona Coyotes. Absolutely. So we did touch on the Sherratt deal. 
I mean, what's your take on that? For me personally, it doesn't really move the needle for them on defense. You know, Ben Sherrod is okay, but they gave up a lot for him. And defense is really the potential issue for the Panthers in a Stanley Cup run, right? When you go up against teams like Tampa Bay and others, their defense cores are just that much better than yours. And it's not to say Florida's are bad, but most teams that win the Stanley Cup have these extremely good defensive cores. And to me, Florida's just not there yet. No, I agree with you on that one, Mac. And the thing that's been carrying Florida all season, I think any fan that watches hockey will agree with you on this one, that Florida, what's been carrying them this year is their high-octane offense and their out-of-this-world goaltending. And not that their defense is bottom tier in the league, but by no means is it. But it it's not a defense that I look at and say, this is the type of defense that if it's game seven and it's a, you know, it's a one goal lead and you're facing a, another team's power line that I'm very confident that they can shut it down in the final minute or two and hold on to it. So Florida, I still think that they need to make some improvements there. I don't know if it's going to happen this season and, and we'll have to see. I think it depends on how they do in the playoffs, Mac. If, if Florida really gets blown out again, sort of like they did last year, and you know defense really lets them down, I think we could see some more radical changes coming out of Sunrise, where if they go on a decent run and their defense holds up better than I, I think you and I are expecting them to, we may not see as much of a push for more defensemen this offseason from Florida, but we'll see. I think it really depends on what happens in the playoffs and Florida. It's going to be a very interesting next few months for the Mac, because this is the first time in a very long time. And I know they did pretty well last year, but I think unlike last year, the expectations are going to be really, really high on Florida with how good they've played this year. The building is going to be sold out. They haven't won a playoff series in ages. And the expectations are certainly quite high for them. And I I think that management and coaching are probably expecting this group to win a round or two. And I don't think that's unreasonable. But as you mentioned, when you play a team like Tampa Bay and you compare their top six defense versus Florida's top six defense, it's a clear advantage in Tampa Bay versus Florida. Absolutely. And I would be a little concerned if this was their only big move of the deadline, because I do think they are one of the teams that has the assets to get Chikrin. And he would literally be a perfect addition to your team. Not only is he very good defensively, he's a very good goal scoring defenseman, very good at carrying the puck, just no issues with the player. I think he would fit in really well with them. Again, it really depends on the price, but they have tons of young players They've got all these assets. They have draft picks that they can dangle. And remember, they're trying to win. The reality of the situation is when you're in that state, you have to make some bold moves sometimes. And to me, this is not a particularly bold move. This is a superstar defenseman that you could potentially acquire. And I don't know if he's going to get traded, but if you had the opportunity to maybe bring him in for, you know, obviously more than you paid for Sherrod and you chose not to do that, that's a little questionable. Yeah, I would agree with you on that one, especially with some right proper moves. 
Bill Zito could absolutely free up the cap to bring him in. Remember, his cap hit really isn't all that high, Mac. I believe it's just over $4.5 million over three years here. So this is not a major cap hit. It's just a matter of finding the right assets. As I mentioned previously, Mac, Bill Armstrong is an opportunistic GM. He's a good negotiator. So the price certainly isn't going to be cheap for Chikrin. But as you mentioned, I really, and I agree with you, I think that adding Chikrin to this top six Florida D would really, really bolster that core. And I don't know if it would, I don't know if I'd put them over Tampa Bay because Tampa Bay's defense is just so good, but it certainly puts them on a much more level playing field. It's just a matter of who are they going to target? And the other person they could target, but I think that Seattle would have to retain some salary on this one because he's also a left-handed shot and left-handed D is uh, Mark Giordano, but that cap hit of $6.75 million is awfully mm. high. And I think that goes for just about any team looking to acquire Giordano. They're going to tell Seattle, like, w- we can't take his entire cap. Seattle's going to retain some cap, especially since he is a UFA after this season. So it, I think Giordano is actually going to fetch a decent price. Obviously not as much as Chikrin, or I think even like Claude Giroux, for example. But we shall see what Giordano fetches. That'll be an interesting one. He's certainly on the move because he's set out the last couple Seattle games and it sounds like all signs are pointing to him being traded. So I I think Francis is looking for the right partner who's, who's willing to take a majority of that cap hit, even if it's only for a few weeks. If you don't have to pay that money, you don't, you don't want to. You don't want to if you don't have to. So I don't think Giordano is going to be super high on teams calling for him unless they can retain salary. But you never know, Mac. We've seen some crazy things at the deadline. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of Seattle, I did want to mention Colin Blackwell. And to me, he is kind of the Blake Coleman of this trade deadline. He does everything well. He's kind of a understated, underrated player that could really help any Stanley Cup contender you know, push themselves to the next level. I don't know what the price is, but I think teams should be calling about him. Teams should be interested in him. Obviously, you saw Yarncroc move. It sounds like Giordano's going to move and maybe some other guys potentially. But to me, Colin Blackwell is a guy that teams should be calling about. And let's, um, speaking of sort of understated names, let's move on to a couple senators here, Matt. And I want to mention one guy in particular that, I think teams should be very interested in, and that's Anton Forsberg. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you on Anton Forsberg. I'm sure you've seen the highlights coming out of Ottawa the last couple games. He is just a highlight reel at the moment. He's playing really well. I think in those last 10 games, and keep in mind, Matt, this is on an Ottawa Senators team that has gone 2-8 and in their last 10 games and really has no defense, especially with Shabbat out for the remainder of the season. He has been carrying over, he's only had under a 900 save percentage once in the last 10 games he's played, and he's got a a plus 500 record on the Ottawa Senators. And I think those two stats speak for themselves, Matt, how good and how consistent he's been. I don't know what the price would be for Antoine Forsberg at the deadline, 
But if you're a team like Toronto, who is actively looking to upgrade their goaltending, I feel like targeting an Anton Forsberg versus a Marc-Andre Fleury, I feel like you should be targeting Forsberg because the price I don't think would be quite as high and the cap it isn't nearly as high either. And I know that Toronto wouldn't be the only team targeting, but I think a lot of teams should be calling Pierre Dorian over the next day and a half saying, are you willing to move Forsberg? And I, and I hear from the beat reporters on Ottawa that they're willing to field offers on guys like Forsberg. So I think that if you're a team that needs a goaltender, or even, you know, a backup goaltender, because as you and I have said, pretty much every episode for the last two years, Matt, having a good tandem in the playoffs is very important. And Forsberg does have that backup experience. That's how he started in Ottawa. And he's basically become the starter. So I think Forsberg is a really good pickup for any team. He's a hot hand at the moment. He'd be a rental. And I don't think the price would be too expensive to acquire him either. So Forsberg, to me, I don't agree with the uh, trade bait on TSN right now. They have Nick Paul as the highest rated senator. But I think that Anton Forsberg should be on the list. He's not on the list at all in the top 50. And I think that Forsberg should be much higher because a lot of teams are looking for goaltending as always, whether it be starter or backup. And acquiring a hot hand going into a playoff push, into the playoffs like Forsberg is right now, is invaluable. Absolutely. Like I could think of at least half a dozen teams that could use a player like this. You mentioned Toronto. St. Louis has not gotten a lot from Jordan Bennington this year. Billy Huso has really blossomed as a goalie. We have been uh, interested in that young guy, and he has really taken the next step this year. I mean, there's Colorado could use a guy like him. You know, even if you're Florida, maybe you're not sure what you're getting from Spencer Knight. He's been a little inconsistent this year. There's a lot of teams that could use that upgrade. And to me, this is a guy that's one of those late blooming goalies. You know, he's 29 years old. He has a 918 save percentage this year. You've watched the Senators all year. You know that they're not good defensively. That's that an understatement. An impressive stat. Very impressive. I think it's an understatement about how bad Ottawa is defensively. I know this is a trade deadline show, Mac, but there's not much holding me back from going into another Josh Brown rant here because oh, Ottawa has been really bad. But speaking of Ottawa, Mac, another guy, as I'm mentioned a moment ago that's on the trade bait and I agree with this one is uh, Nick Paul Ottawa they were negotiating with him I haven't heard whether they've stopped negotiating but what we were hearing Mac was Ottawa offered Nick Paul two and a half million for five sorry four years and his camp has turned it down they want three million dollars so it sounds more than likely, like Nick Paul will be on the move. I'm not 100% sure what Pierre Dorian will be looking for Nick Paul, but I imagine a mid-round pick would probably be what you'd expect for a guy like Nick Paul. And uh, once again, as a guy that watches the Senators night in and night out, Mac, I think Nick Paul would be a great addition to pretty much any team. He hasn't had the greatest season this year, Mac. He's only got 18 points in 59 games but he's a really good depth addition to any bottom six. 
He's physical. He's got good passing. He's got a decent shot. He's got good size. And he can really slot in at center or wing in any bottom six quite easily. And he'd be a real good depth piece for pretty much any of these teams looking to push for the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of depth pieces, another guy I think is drawing a lot of interest from teams like Colorado and otherwise is Andrew Kopp. I mean, another guy that can play in all situations. He's good on the four check. He's got deceptive skill. And to me, you know, depending on what the price is, like all of these players, this is a guy that could really help out a contending team. And there's really no risk associated with acquiring a guy like this. So it sounds like it's open season on COP, whereas there are other players on Winnipeg, which we'll get into a bit later, that we're not really sure are available yet. But that's another guy that I think could really help teams. Absolutely. That's another great pickup. There's lots of guys like that that are always available at the deadline, Mac, that I feel like a lot of teams might gloss over, and especially a lot of fans gloss over as, oh, you know, we didn't get the the Lindholm or the Daru or the Chikrin, but guys like Paul and Cop, those are the type of guys that you slot into your bottom six. And those are the types of guys that surprise everyone every year. They, you know, they have an explosion in the last month and a half of the season. They score a ton of goals. They really make a big impact in the playoffs, whether they are noticed or not. Those guys make an impact and GMs know that. And that's why they're always looking for the cops and the policy of the world. All right. Uh, just a few more names I want to mention before we get on to our next topic. Jake DeBrusque. Now, we know that even though he has been very good lately, the trade request for DeBrusque is still active. So you wonder if maybe there is a deal to be had. I don't know what the move would be, but I think there would be considerable interest in a young player. You know, obviously former top draft pick. I think at some point Boston will move the player. And then you've got Connor Garland. I'm not crazy about this guy, but I think he could help a top six to top nine. And he hasn't had a great year in Vancouver. However, he's shown, especially in Arizona, that he can really produce. So I think that's a player that teams should be interested in. And lastly, Minnesota prospect Jack McBain, He's unsigned. He's rumored to be on the move, potentially a piece in a trade. We know Minnesota's cap situation with those buyouts is not great the next few years. It sounds like he's going to be on the move as well. Great to make notes of that. And uh, one other guy I want to make a note of, just because it's been rumored for a while, and I'm sure some team, there's always one guy that you know teams are going to overpay for, Mac. And I think this year it's going to be Claude Giroux. Now, don't get me wrong, Mac. Claude Giroux is a local guy here in Ottawa. And I do think he'll be a good addition to a team that can that's willing to pay the price for him, at least short term. But remember, Claude Giroux is 34. He hasn't had the greatest year by his standards. It's still have he's still having an okay year, but he carries a high cap hit with him. And I guarantee you, I don't know for sure what the asking price is for Claude Giroux from Philly. You might be able to answer that one, Mac, but I'm sure it's quite high. And some team will overpay for him. So uh, I think it's just a matter of time until we get that team that's going to overpay for Drew. And they're going to give up a lot of assets for what is going to be a short-term rental. Yeah, I will get into that in just a bit because I have another segment that, with your permission, I would like to start. And that segment is entitled, and I quote, 
teams that are stupid. How do you feel about that? <laughs> okay, I like this. I think there's I think there's a lot of potential with this segment, Mac. We could honestly make a case for so many teams for teams We're, that are stupid. <laughs> you know what? We'll we'll keep it under 10, but let's start with the Dallas Stars, okay? We heard that the reason they weren't moving big players like Klingberg and Pavelski was because ownership wanted them to make the playoffs because they wanted revenue. And you and I were skeptical this team, even though they're hot and cold all season long, was good enough to make the playoffs. Guess what? Minnesota's gotten hot again. St. Louis has gotten hot again. And the Dallas Stars are ice cold. They've lost for the fourth time in five games and haven't won in regulation in two weeks with today's loss to the New York Islanders. So now you've re-signed Pavelski. You've taken Klingberg off the trade block. It makes zero sense whatsoever. And I don't think this is coming from Jim Nill. I think this is an ownership thing and his hands are tied. But yeah, I mean, Dallas could really use those young assets. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think this is a Jim Nill move, Mac. He, he's a smarter guy than what ownership is doing right now, Mac, because uh, you and I, as you mentioned, have been skeptical. And to be fair, last time we did record, they were pretty close to getting into a wild card spot. But even then, you and I were questioning whether it was even worth going for the playoffs with this group. And you and I both agreed that, no, it wasn't worth going for a playoff spot. And as you mentioned, they've gone ice cold now. They've committed more money. Klingberg's off the board. And Matt, seeing what teams are paying for guys like Lindholm and Chikrin right now, Mac, could you imagine what Klingberg would fetch in this market? That's all you need to say, right? Klingberg assets, you're not getting them because of ownership. Yeah. And Dallas, I'll give them credit. They've had some some excellent performances from young players. Jake Ottinger has really come into his own this year, but this is still not a well-built team. This is still an old team. You're still getting next to nothing from Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. I think those contracts are headed for buyouts, by the way. I would just imagine that that's what's going to happen and that's going to hurt, but you're just not getting anything from them. And Gurionov has been a little bit better. You know, like you're getting a little bit from Faxa, although he's mostly a defensive forward. It's just not good enough. And to me, Dallas, like I said, they really need those young assets. But let's move on to another team that we haven't really picked on a lot this year because we've been pretty accepting of what they've done, bringing in young players and just seeing how things would go in the San Jose Sharks. But I do have to say, when you have a prime asset like Thomas Hurdle and teams are interested in a top center and teams are willing to trade a lot for him, instead you turn around and sign him to a long-term contract to add to all these giant contracts that you're currently dealing with, it, it doesn't make sense. It, it just doesn't. No, it does not make sense at all. Now, to be fair, Mac, the Sharks still have $5 million in cap space. But you, you look at the hurdle contract here, Mac, and that you have $8 million plus left in cap space, less in cap space than you did a few days ago. And, and this is a team that you and I for years have been saying needed to free up cap space. And they were finally doing it. They were finally getting rid of some of those bad contracts. They, they finally got rid of Martin Jones. 
And remember, they're still paying his buyout until 2027. So there's still <laughs> some dead cap there too. Oh, and yes. So the, the ghosts of bad contracts past are still haunting him. And now they're, they're re-upping. So Doug Wilson, we thought he learned his lesson. But and don't get me wrong, like I like Tomas Hurdle. He's a good player, but for the amount of money they're going to be paying him onwards from 2023, I I, I don't know. <laughs> I, it, it honestly leaves you speechless sometimes, doesn't it, Mac? Yeah, and it's not. We're not knocking a player. Thomas Hurdle is a superstar player. I get that. But you have to look at the reality of the situation, okay? You've got a team that's trying to transition from an older core to a younger core. He's 28 years old, and now you've signed him until 2026, 2027 at over $8 million per year. So it's just, to me, it's like I would have been more interested in them maybe signing him short-term for two, three years, or... You tell teams he's available and you see what you can get. And the answer is you could probably get a lot right now. There are teams out there that would love to acquire this player and are contending teams that it makes sense to sign him to that kind of contract. But for the San Jose Sharks, it doesn't make sense. And like I said, it's just another one of those contracts you added to Carlson, Burns, Vlasic, Couture. You know, it's it's troubling really. And I don't know if the Sharks have told teams that they're listening on offers for players like Couture and whatnot, but they should because Logan Couture is not worth eight mil. He's 32 years old and his contract doesn't expire until 2026, 2027. Absolutely. And, and imagine, you know, once again, just like Hungberg, imagine if instead of signing Hurdle to this big deal, you, you do some sort of sign in trade with Thomas Hurdle if you're Doug Wilson, this is a seller's market right now, Mac. The key pieces like Tomas Hurdle would fetch so much on the market right now. And San Jose would also get cap space. They get some assets that they could use to get this core to a younger state, which it desperately needs to be at. And just slowly get rid of all those old contracts. It's not an easy thing to do, Mac. Just look at what Detroit's been doing the last little while. They have been clearing out all these old contracts. It can be a multi-year process. Let's move on to the next team. We mentioned them a little bit before, and we were talking about this team before the show. Uh, We did talk about this about, I want to say, a month or two ago, and that's the Winnipeg Jets. So what we have heard, and from our understanding is, that the Jets are open to trading players like Andrew Kopp, Nate Schmidt, Brendan Dillon, and Paul Stastny. We don't know who else is potentially available. Now, what I'm wondering here is, at what point do you, if you're Kevin Cheveldayoff, do you look yourself in the mirror and be like, what we have is not working. What I did in the offseason is not working. Maybe it's time to rethink things. We don't know if they're planning a sell-off in the spring or summer. That is possible. Well, I guess it would be the summer. But to me, you know, your current mix of players is not working. Blake Wheeler is, is a declining player. You know, Mark Shifley is a good player, but he's pure offense. 
And it, it was patchwork on defense to improve the defense this summer. The Jets are still the same team they were, you know, one year ago, two years ago, where you rely on Connor Hellbuck a lot. You don't get a lot from your backup goalie. And you rely on your offense to win you games. They're not known as a good defensive team. Are they physical? Kind of. But to me, it's just like, at some point, you have to think to yourself, what we have is not working. How can we make it better? How can we improve our team? Because they're going downhill fast. Absolutely. Uh, to, to make a bad pun here, Mac, yeah, like an airplane, they're stalling right now. And they're in a free fall stall right now. The question is, when are they going to pull up? They haven't realized they're in this stall. And it's time to start getting rid of the dead weight, just like in San Jose. Get, get rid of the guys that you can get assets for, free up cap space, develop around a younger core. Yeah, of course, keep guys like Hellebuck that are, your, that are some of your key players right now. But there's a lot of guys, as you mentioned, like Wheeler, that you can sell off, like Shifley, that you could probably sell off to teams for a lot of assets. And free, and as well as freeing up some cap space, and I don't think this would be a full, full sorry, a full blown teardown in this situation if you did it right, because there still are some decent pieces here, Mac, and I'm sure you agree with me on that as well. Mm-hmm. But you you need to get rid of some of these bigger contracts and aging quickly aging guys, because if you stick with those guys, all you're going to do is crash. Absolutely. And I hate to interrupt you here, but Pierre Lebrun just reported that the Ducks are getting a huge return for Hampus Lindholm if the deal goes through. A first round pick, a second round pick, another second round pick, plus a 24 plus young roster player, which could be Jake DeBrusque. So (laughs) stay tuned for that. Uh, We'll release that info on our Twitter page, but let's let's keep the conversation going. Yeah, let's let's move on to your uh, next team that is stupid, Mac. Which one is that? <laughs> the Philadelphia Flyers. Oh, I was wondering when you were going to get to them. <laughs> so what's your number one reason here, Mac? I'm enjoying these. I don't understand what the Flyers are doing. I don't understand their approach to anything anymore. And I think the most questionable thing they did this year to this point well, first it was trading for Rasmus Ristolainen and what they gave up, right? Yeah. And second was re-signing him <laughs> to a three-year contract when he's not playing well at all just so you can save face in a trade that you got wrecked on. Now, I will say this. You have an opportunity here to maybe sell off some guys like Connect Me, like Sharu, and get some good returns. But I'm hearing the only ones that are shopping right now are Justin Braun and Claude Giroux. And I don't know what the return is going to be. And I wonder if it's going to be underwhelming because they're not in a great management situation right now. The whole Ristolainen situation to me, Mac, just kind of sums up the state of the Philadelphia Flyers. You way overpay for a guy that really hasn't lived up to his his original contract yet. You bring him in, everyone calls you out on it and then you're Chuck Fletcher and say, well, you know, I can't just let him walk for nothing at the end of the season time to sign him, sign him up again until 2027. 
that'll that'll teach him that'll show him maybe in those few years he'll become a superstar in the league mac but i don't think that's going to happen and that was a panic move by chuck fletcher it's obvious oh yeah and philly is just a train wreck right now and i think that's the best way to describe philadelphia in one word train wreck and it's not going to stop anytime soon. As you said, they can still save some face here by selling off some guys like Giroux and Konechny, but it doesn't sound like they're going to be selling off guys like Konechny, like Van Riemsdyk, even guys like Kevin Hayes. You know, you, you got to be bold in a situation like this. They, the Flyers don't have a lot of cap space. Nothing has gone right for them the last few years, and I don't think that's going to change next year. So, Philly's got to get something going here. I think Fletcher needs to be shown the boot and a new direction needs to be cast for the Philadelphia Flyers. So what's your next team here, Mac? Now this one's interesting and I don't know if you agree with it, but I've got the Arizona Coyotes here, not because I'm super critical of them, but at what point did the Arizona Coyotes decide to try and compete rather than get good draft picks? And at what point did they decide that the only player that they're moving, maybe, is Chikrin? You know, are you listening to offers for Lawson Krauss? Are you listening to offers on your other players? Because let's be honest, they've got a ton of assets. Obviously, there are certain players you wouldn't move, like Clayton Keller. You should be listening on almost all your players, and I don't know if that's happening. No, it doesn't look like it. I think... The main focus for the Coyotes right now is moving Chikrin. And uh, I know this is an off-the-ice thing, Mac, but along with all with what Arizona is doing, doing the reverse tank at the moment, the Arizona Coyotes are also moving into that 5,000-seat arena. And, and you and I haven't touched on it yet on the show, but, but safe to say it, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a joke. <laughs> like the... The Gatineau Olympique game this afternoon, the arena there sits 4,800. That's only that's only a little less than this arena that the Arizona Coyotes, an NHL team, remember, is playing in next season. So uh, that just piles onto the stupid at the moment. Reverse tank plus tiny arena. There you go. You know what? I, I will leave the, uh, the options open for you to add any teams to this conversation, but I have uh, finished my part. <laughs> Ooh, uh, you know what? This is not a team, but I'm going to add a player because it was pretty stupid. Uh, Austin Matthews with the cross check on Dolene at the NHL Heritage Classic. That was so stupid back that I, I think it combines for the stupidity of some of these teams. Like, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And look, I get where Austin Matthews is coming from. You know, you're you're losing to Buffalo in a big national nationally televised game you've lost to buffalo a couple times recently you're good you know you're gonna lose but you don't take a cross check to the neck of darlene late in a game when the game's already written and that and then he gets suspended for two games when toronto's in a playoff push and you know toronto very much could use the score all the scoring help they could get because the goaltending right now really hasn't been there for Toronto. 
Yeah, and, and we could add Toronto to that list, but you guys know our thoughts on Toronto. And, when and I could add Ottawa lose, too. But... Well, of course we could. And you guys know that I'm not a Leafs fan anymore, haven't been for a few years now, mm-hmm. but we do love to poke fun at our teams and our former favorite teams. So, yeah, I think that uh, concludes this segment. It was fun as always. Anything else to add today, Matt? So one more thing I want to add here, Matt, a really awesome note, a really great note, and that is, Eve Gascon making her debut for the Gatineau Olympique this afternoon. First woman, I believe, to start in a CHL game. She's smashing that glass ceiling this afternoon. And so far, so good. It's a 3-2 Ramuski lead going into the third period at the moment. But you have to remember, Mac, that the QMJHL is a very high-scoring league. Ramuski is a good team. And I don't have the stat up right at the moment. But from what I've heard from heard from my friends who are at the game, she's done quite well at the moment. So not only is it a historic afternoon, she's doing a great job in goal. And I can tell you for a fact, Matt, as someone who has a awesome woman as my starting goalie on my hockey team, they kill it in net and they kill it on the ice. You know, let me tell you something. And I feel like this needs to be said. I was, as you guys may know, I work in the media now. I'm a reporter. I was uh, covering a local event here last night that handed out awards for kind of this region and a little bit in BC, Northwest Alberta, quote unquote. And there were so many amazing women there that are athletes and role models to young kids. And you just hope that with something like this, you know, a girl can, can look at Eve and say, you know, maybe I can do that. You know, maybe I can do that if I put everything into it. And it's wonderful. It really is. I, I really hope we continue to see stories like this and continue to make the game more inclusive for women. Absolutely. These are the types of hockey stories that you and I love to report on. I, I know it's been a tough year for hockey and especially the NHL. But despite all the bad stuff that comes out from the old boys club and the NHL, if you can look beyond that and look at the stories like with what's going on with the women's game and the ceilings that are being broken and the new players that we're bringing out all the time. Hockey is for everyone and hockey, the hockey community is amazing. And anyone that spent any time around the game in that type of circle will agree with us on that one. Awesome. Well, this was fun as always. I think we had a really cool conversation and uh, looking forward to the trade deadline, the rest of the NHL season. I will mention right now that we're not quite sure how the next couple of weeks or so is going to play out because I am on vacation, not next week, but the following week. But we'll make up for it. Maybe we'll record another episode towards the end of the month, post-trade deadline reaction. We'll see, but we'll definitely let you know. So thanks again for listening. And remember, you can find Center Ice wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for the white, blue, and red logo.